And it'd be wonderful if you could turn to uh, Galatians chapter 6, if you've got a Bible. It will also be on the screen behind me, or you can find it on your phone. Galatians chapter 6. And I recognize today that there's a number of people who aren't uh, normally at Globe Church, which is terrific. Um, you are just pitching in to the middle of where we've got to. Uh, this isn't random. This is what we do at our church. We take a book of the Bible. Each Sunday, we work through a little bit of it. We believe this is the Word of God, so we want to hear what God has to say. We read a bit. We think about it together. We've been working our way through Galatians, and we've got to Galatians 6. But we're actually going to start at Galatians 5, verse 26, um, because I think it's important. So, here we go. Galatians 5, 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. All right, now... I'm not going to try and fill in the whole of Galatians for you uh, if you haven't been here, but I do want to just frame it in in sort of some of the bigger things that we've been seeing. Um, And I want to start with uh, this picture. Does anyone know what this sculpture is? Anyone recognize this sculpture? This is a sculpture by an artist called Jeff Koons, and it's a sculpture that is worth 34,000 pounds. It was put, uh, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, It's made of ceramic. Um, and it's, it was put on display in Florida at a, um, an open evening for art investors. Someone was looking at it, and they wanted to know whether it was a balloon. So they poked it, and it fell, and it ended up like this. The curator of the uh, exhibition said afterwards, I'm a little bit sad. <laughs> I felt that I felt he could have done more. Now, why do I start with that? Well, I start with that because I want to have that image in your mind. Can we go back to the sculpture? You see, the story of the Bible is the story of God's plan, the story of God's great purpose. And look, if you've never heard this before, you have to know that there's a God who made this world, and he has such a good plan. His good plan is beautiful and it's stunning. It's a love story between God and his people. And so God makes the beautiful world. It's stunning. It's worth 
infinite value. But the tragedy is that human beings have fractured that world. They've smashed it. And actually what has happened is that rather than live in relationship with one another, in beautiful harmony with one another, and in harmony with God, instead, it's been smashed. Instead, we've chosen, and and in fact, if you listen to each of the stories that we've already heard, each of them spoke of this. Ways in which they have done wrong or wrong has been done to them and ways in which, therefore, life just feels fractured. And the interesting thing in the Bible is that over and over again, what you discover is that human beings are fractured. So the first brothers ever built, born, built, born, let's go with born. Uh, The first brothers ever born, Cain and Abel, that went well. Cain, the first baby ever born. Oh, cute. Little baby lying in his cot. He grows up to be a murderer. He murders his brother. You see, this, this, this fracture that happens. And suddenly you discover that nations are set against nations. And brothers are set against brothers. And there's all the way through the family story. that The Bible story is this dislocated, fractured story of humanity. And so the sort of things that you see over and over again are things like envy and hatred, jealousy, selfishness. I mean, so that's a fairly rubbish story, but I want you to just look look at that picture. And you tell me that isn't an accurate picture of our world today. Yes, there are little bits that still hang together. Little clumps where we can sort of pretend everything's okay. If we forget everything out there, we go, yeah, but we're still together. But actually, the reality that between races, between peoples, between classes, between everybody, between families, there are these fractures that run so deep. We are not a united people. We are a fractured humanity. And yet... The message of Galatians, in fact, the message of the whole Bible is that God has a staggering plan to take the mess and to take the shattered pieces and piece by piece to put back together what we had destroyed. And in the book of Galatians, we've seen that that story can be traced through a man called Abraham. God made promises to Abraham, and God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to build for you a family, a beautiful family, where you're going to live in harmony with one another. But it won't just be you, because from you then, I will from you put all of humanity together. That's God's plan. To create a united, beautiful, loving harmonious people who love him and who love one another. Come on, that sounds good, doesn't it? Isn't that what you ache for? Isn't that what we long for? Isn't that what politicians spend their lives trying to achieve, but we just can't do it? But God has this plan. And so God made these promises to Abraham, and then you trace those promises through, and this promise is so massive, and we haven't got time to do all of this, but actually what happens is that as a result of those promises, God then sends his son, Jesus. And it is in Jesus that God finally brings to that point where 
all people can be gathered in and come to Jesus, the one who comes to put us back together. Jesus, the one who enters our broken world, who enters our fractured world, who feels the pain of it, who experiences envy. He experiences people's hatred. He experiences people treating him badly. He experiences people abusing and refusing him. And eventually he dies on a cross. And here's the thing, right? It's that death on the cross that is the key moment that brings healing to this world, healing to the nations. It's that death on the cross because on the cross, Jesus takes the mess, he takes the punishment we deserve so that we can be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. Look, that's what's going on. And that's why Jesus is such good news. And so I want to say to you this afternoon... That if you know Jesus, if you are part of what he is doing, if you are part of his family, it is remarkable. Please, whatever you do, right? If you're sitting here and you're a Christian, please don't think that's nothing. (laughs) Please don't take that for granted. If you're not a Christian, please, please this afternoon, would you come? Come and see Jesus. Okay, let me tell you a few things, right? Just enjoy this for a minute. Let's enjoy for a minute what it means to be a Christian. Just from Galatians. This is what is true of you, right? Joseph, Lucy, Tom, this is what is true of you this afternoon as you get baptized. This is what God says about you. God says that Christ Jesus gave himself for your sins to rescue you from the present evil age, from the mess, from the fractured, messed up world. He gave himself to rescue you. The Bible says that the Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. He gave himself. As he hung on a cross with blood flowing from his head and his hands and his feet, he wasn't just doing it randomly. It was for you. For you, by name, he loved you. What else has he done? What's more? He's done more than that. He's redeemed you from the curse. He's set you free. He's adopted you as his child. You are no longer a slave, but you are a child of God. And if you are a child, you are also an heir. You now are an inheritor of the promises to Abraham. This big story is now your story. All of this is true of you. You can call God Abba, Father. The Spirit of God now lives in you. He really lives in you. If you've ever called God Father, it's because the Spirit of God enables you to call God Father. You are children of the promise. You are loved. You are accepted. You are free. And this afternoon, that, that is what unites us. And it's that that means that in Christ Jesus, we are one family. 
So one of the verses we've kept coming back to in the book of Galatians is that verse that says, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, neither Jew nor Gentile. There is all of those kind of past ways of fracturing humanity have now been healed. You're one in Christ Jesus, all one. And so we've seen that to those who might feel inferior, you're loved. To those who might feel superior, you're loved in just the same way. And in chapter 6 of Galatians, he's really trying to land this. And he's saying, look, this is what it will look like to live out this new reality. What does freedom in Christ look like? Freedom from the law. What does it look like to now be free in Christ? Well, it certainly doesn't mean you can now run off and destroy anyone you like. It doesn't mean that you can live however you want. The freedom Paul talks about is not freedom to do whatever you want. It's freedom to now live this new life. Freedom to live for Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at. And that's why I wanted to start with chapter 5, verse 26, where Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You can see why, right? If in Jesus you have been made a child of God, if in Jesus you've been given the Spirit and you're loved and you're accepted and you're redeemed and you're adopted, if all those things are true of you, don't get conceited. What does the word conceit mean? What does it mean to be conceited? I think it means to want people to look at you. It's like a peacock, right? Peacocks, it strikes me, are the most conceited of all the animals. Because you go to a farm and you're just wandering around, you look at the mallard ducks. And they're quite interested in the ducks. There they are, swimming. And they're having a happy little time. You go, look, there's ducks. And over here, there's a peacock just nibbling away. And then suddenly it goes, hang on, I want some attention. And it goes, vroom. And suddenly, as soon as it does that, the duck's got no chance. What's the mallard going to do now? Because everybody goes, oh, wow. And everyone leaves the mallards and goes, wow, peacock, look at the peacock. It's amazing. And then it struts, doesn't it? It does its little thing. You know, here we are. Look at me. And it says to the mallard, look at you, mallard. You've not got one of those. <laughs> And if you want an image, you know, that's what Paul is really concerned is beginning to happen in this church, that they might begin to become proud of themselves. And so he says, here's what the danger is, that you who've been brought together as one new humanity might, through becoming proud, might begin to fracture again. We saw this back in chapter 2. Even the apostle Peter started to move back started to reopen the fractures as he said, no, I don't want to eat with the Gentiles anymore. And Paul says, as he writes Galatians, he says, don't you dare do that. Don't be conceited. Provoking. I think provoking is for the people who feel they're awesome. You know, that's what peacocks do. They provoke. What do the mallards do? They envy. Right? If you're a duck, you envy. If you're a peacock, you provoke. And everybody in church is either going to be peacock-like or duck-like. You either think you're awesome or you think you're ugly. And you think, I'm one or this. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't fall into that trap because you're one in Christ. And so, Paul, what, what, what should you be like? Well, here we go. Oh, we've got to the point now. That was good. This is the new community. Uh, an 
I'd love you to see how beautiful this is. This is what God says. Don't be conceited. Stop being impressed by peacocks with their fluffy tails. Look. What Paul says in chapter 6 is we are to be relentlessly committed to burden carrying. Relentlessly committed to carrying each other's burdens. That is what freedom looks like. That is what Jesus has saved you for. That is what Jesus is doing. He's creating a people not so that you can strut your stuff, but so that you can carry other people's burdens. So let's work through. And you can see it there in verse 2 is where I'm getting the main image. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. <laughs> Look, that's right. Look, that's funny. Look, um, if you've been here all the way through, you'll know that the law has been a big deal, right? Paul has over and over again said, you're not under the law. You're not under the law. You've been redeemed from the law. You're not under the law. And then he says, okay, now you've got to fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Because Paul wants you to know that the freedom that Christ has set you free for is not a freedom where we might use the law to strut our stuff, but is a freedom where we might use the law to serve one another. Where we might serve one another. Okay, so how has Christ lived? How did Jesus live? Well, Jesus went around carrying other people's burdens. Look, Did Jesus ever strut his stuff? Did Jesus ever kind of call, you know, sort of say, I'm going to do a miracle, could you gather around, I'm going to do a miracle? No, most of the time, Jesus said, look, I'm going to do this miracle quietly in the background. He didn't do things like to show off. He always did things to serve others. Can I say, if I had the power of Jesus, I think I would use it quite a lot for my own glory. Even if I was serving others, I think I'd still find ways to slip in. <laughs> Look at him. Because there's something in us that loves the applause, isn't there? Because deep down, we are like peacocks. <laughs> deep down, we love the attention, we love the applause. And if we had something that we could flip up to show the world, then we'd want people to gather around. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus carried people's burdens. Jesus walked along with people. In fact, in the most beautiful picture of this that I can think of, it it really sums up what he was doing at the cross, right? You see, what did Jesus do as he died on the cross? He carried my burden. I've done wrong. I carry this this burden of guilt, this burden of shame, this burden of sin. And Jesus at the cross said, let me take that for you. That's what he was doing. As he spread out his arms, he said, let me take that burden from you. And he was crushed by my burden. And so he says, you want to know the law of Christ? You want to know what it looks like to follow Christ? Carry each other's burdens. Carry burdens. Okay, well, what does that look like in practice? Let's get really practical and nitty-gritty. Um, well, I think it means we carry, our bur- carry other people's burden of, um, when they fail. 
What about when people fail? How do we react when people fail? Look at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. What do you do when someone fails? How do you respond? If you've got a... Okay, let's, let's take a silly example, right? That there are countless videos that we spend hours of our lives watching of people falling over, right? It's, I mean, it, it never stops being funny watching someone fall over. Um, and so we, we, as soon as something goes wrong or it looks like someone's about to fall, rather than help them, we get our cameras out. <laughs> Quick, this could be a brilliant clip. And we film it. And I wonder if kind of metaphorically we do that in our minds with people's failure. That when people are struggling, rather than moving towards them to help them, we sort of watch as observers. We're quite fascinated by it. Perhaps we talk about it with others. Oh dear, have you seen how they're struggling? Or perhaps secretly it makes us feel a bit better about ourselves. Perhaps we might even rejoice that someone else has failed. Look, if you see someone failing, be the person who goes towards them. Be the person who loves them. Be the person who says, I get it, I'm weak like you are. Can I come alongside you and help you? Be the person who goes down into the mud, gets yourself dirty as you help them out. Pull them out. We've got to stop watching each other fail. And not caring about it. That's what Jesus did. And to be a church family, and whether you're a part of the Globe Church family, or whether you belong to another church family, all that we would be a community of people who hate it when each other fail. And who want each other to succeed. And who move towards each other and say, can I help you? I think so many times, churches, we can load guilt on people rather than lift it. So when people fail, we make them feel guilty rather than being the one who comes alongside to help. Look, we're one in Christ Jesus. No one is better than anyone else. And therefore, we need each other. So I wonder, how can you help to carry the burden of someone who's failing? Someone who's struggling, someone who's burdened by sin. And this little phrase, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That isn't, I don't think that's a special category of people. <laughs> Paul says all Christians live by the Spirit. All Christians have the Spirit. And therefore, this is something that all of us can do if we're part of this family. You don't go, well, it's not my responsibility. I'll let someone else do it. No, you take responsibility. Let's take responsibility for each other to love each other in that way. But there's wisdom here, isn't there? Watch yourself or you may also be tempted. And if you're running into the quicksand, you could get sucked into. So be sensible. Be wise. Don't think that you're the hero. Perhaps get others involved. Help each other. But in all of this, we're looking, how can we help people rather than crush them. Okay, what about the burden of someone who's struggling? 
It may not be a sin. It may just be that life is hard. It may just be that things are tough. It may be that they've just had a, a baby or a tough thing at work or something has happened or they've had a bereavement or something's happened. How do we carry the burdens in that situation? Well, you, you get practical, right? Now, look, the thing is, if I'm carrying a burden that weighs um, 100 kilograms on my... No, it's too much. Uh, some of you are impressed. Let's go uh, 50 kilograms. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm carrying my 50-kilogram bar, which we have in our front room, obviously. Um, not for me. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm squatting my, you know, my bar, you know, and um, I'm not gonna, I can't actually do a squat without a bar, um, so let's not do that. But here I am squatting, and, um, and it's too much for me, right? And I get stuck at the bottom of my squat, right? And I can't get up again. What I do, I, I call on someone to go, I say, someone help me, Linda, come and help me. And um, someone comes. Now, the only way they can help you, you've got to understand this, the only way they can help you is if they carry some of the weight, right? There's no, it doesn't help in any of it. In order for it to be lifted off me, some of that weight has to be carried by someone else. And the reason I say this is because if you're going to join someone and carrying their burdens, it will hurt you. You can't do it without it costing you. It's just you're not carrying the burden if it doesn't cost you anything. And so when the burden, when we see someone who's struggling, you think, I want to go and help them. Oh, but I, I can't really, well, I can't really afford that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. No, no, it costs. And so I really want to say, let's be a church family who are willing to pay that cost. You see, when Jesus came into this world, Jesus said, I'll lay down my life for you. It cost him everything. And therefore, it should cost us. So let me, let me ask you something. When, when was the last time it really cost you to serve someone else in the church family? And you did it joyfully because you said, we're one in Christ and this person's struggling and I could help carry 25 kilograms of their load. I could help carry that. And of course, if you get five people to help, it's only 10 kilograms each. You see, this is a team game. We do this together. And we have been so blessed by the people who've come alongside us in the times when we most needed it and have just lifted the burden a bit for us. And then the third burden, and this is probably the last thing we'll do. We're not going to get to the end of this passage. So the third burden um, is, is there in verse 3. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves. This is lift the burden of comparison. All right? What Paul is talking about here is he's saying, stop comparing yourselves to each other. Look at your, just look at yourself. Don't worry about other people. Test your own actions. And then it seems a bit weird, doesn't it? Then they can take pride in themselves alone. You go, oh, that's a bit weird. I thought we weren't supposed to take pride in ourselves. But actually, I think what Paul is saying is, then you can just, without publicly being a peacock, instead you can say, Father, thank you for helping me to do that. 
Thank you for that good thing. No one else needs to know about it. But you can rejoice that God has helped you to do something good. And so we test our own actions. Can I say this is probably one of the greatest burdens we place on one another? That we're not honest with each other, and so we give the impression that we're better than we really are, which means that everybody else thinks that they're rubbish. Does that make sense? If I don't tell you that I'm struggling, you don't know I'm struggling, which means you think I don't struggle, which means when you struggle, you think you must be rubbish. One of the best ways that we can lift the burdens for one another is by being honest. By when you're in trouble, telling people, asking for help, telling people what it's like, telling people that you struggle to pray this morning, that you struggle to pray this year, telling people where it's hard for you, rather than constantly wanting to play this comparison game with one another. So Paul says, lift that burden of comparing yourselves to one another. Look at yourself. You've got your own load to carry. Now, interesting is that he says, bear each other's, carry each other's burdens. Then he says, carry your own load. Yes, you do have a load that you need to carry. This isn't the freedom of kind of, oh, don't worry about it. There's a load. It's not a burden. That's a crushing burden. This is a load, a load that you can carry, a load that God has entrusted you with, a work that you can do, that you are responsible for, that God says, you do this, you take this, you live this, you have a responsibility, but stop comparing. You know, when um, Jesus was raised from the dead and, um, and he was talking to Peter and he said to Peter, you're, you're going to die for me. Peter's response was to go, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. <laughs> Concentrate yourself. And we can do that, right? We can constantly be looking at others and going, yeah, but what about them? What about them? What about them? And actually, in this new community, this one new people that God is building, we will destroy one another if we keep comparing ourselves. So look, let's, let's round all this up. Okay, let's, let's just round this up. God is creating one new humanity. It's stunning. He's done it through Jesus. Jesus has made us one. You are one in Christ Jesus, all of you. Therefore, not one of us in this room has a reason to be conceited. Not one of us in this room has a reason to feel inadequate and useless and like we don't belong. All of us, loved, accepted, welcomed, and equally welcomed in God's family, all of us. Which means, therefore, we can be a community that carry each other's burdens. When we fail, when we struggle, and when we compare ourselves to one another. Oh, that people would come to church and leave church feeling like the burden is lifted. So as you go into this week, here's my challenge for you. In every encounter you have, do you leave people more burdened or less? Do people feel more weighted or less weighted? Weighted? More heavy-hearted or less heavy-hearted? In every encounter, what could you do? Parents, if you've got kids, how could you lift the burden with your kids? Housemates in your, in your flat, are you a flatmate who lifts the burdens? Let's be a burden-lifting community. And just before we finish, let me deal with verse 6. 
Nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Well, I think that speaks for itself. I have instructed you in the word. Therefore, you should share all good things with me. <laughs> Can I, the reason I want to finish with this, and I'm not joking around, the reason I want to finish with this is because Globe Church, sorry everybody else, Globe Church, you really are brilliant at this. You really are. And the fact that you provided for Linda and me to go on sabbatical for three months is part of you lifting the burden from us. And you have no idea how significant that is. You are doing this. Not one person in this church has said to me, oh, you shouldn't have a sabbatical, or you, what you, you do it. In fact, everybody has said, we're so grateful, we're so glad you're able to go. That will be three months where we're able to enjoy the burden being lifted and being able to enjoy Jesus and hopefully coming back refreshed to serve and to love you guys again. So thank you that you do, verse 6. And let's not just do that for the people up front. Let's do that for everybody in our church family. Let's do that for one another. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the great burden-lifting, burden-carrying God. Thank you that you've done that for us, that you're creating this one new humanity where we can now live this freedom of loving one another, of the cost of carrying burdens for one another. Father, help us not to be like peacocks or not to be like little ducks, but to be like children who know that we're loved and who love one another. Lord, help us to carry one another's burdens, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.